0: Welcome to the Forward 40 podcast, where we highlight the experiences of 40 women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. This is an ode to our foremothers, a healing circle of our unique experiences, and a bridge of insight and wisdom across generations. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Forward 40, and we are on the West Coast virtually (laughs) for for this segment. I am pleased to have in the guest here, Colleen Echohawk, who is the Executive Director of the Chief Seattle Club. Welcome, Colleen.
1: Thank you so much. Delighted to be here.
0: Yes, um, so I, I'm happy to have you and also especially like in this moment of the work that you're doing and your journey in, and, and, and background in public health, which I find very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, so you have a background in public health and uh, again, how timely yet unfortunate for the moment that we're in where, you know, it's at the forefront of the health discourse. And you shared that you felt a calling and a love for the people that you serve. Can you share more about that journey that led you to the Chief Seattle Club? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Thank you so much for such a, a thoughtful question. And it's one I love to answer too. Um, so I um, had been a board member at the Chief Seattle Club and was um, you know happy to support the work there. And our executive director um, resigned and was um, looking at other work. and. Um, I was on the hiring team. I wasn't even really considering it. And um, at the time I was working at UW and again in public health, working on um, some really exciting um, work that I just loved. Um, But then I got a a gentle nudge from um, um, a friend of the board and said, you know, would you think that you might consider this this job? And, you know, I, I thought about it and just felt like this, you know, you know how sometimes you just feel like this strong urging I like you know I like to call it spirit I just felt like the, absolutely <laughs> the spirit, the pushing me forward and saying this is it and I also feel like um you know I, I also call it my ancestors like just just pushing me and saying like this this is something and so I thought okay well I'll just I'll try it for a year I knew it could come back UW if I wanted and um, University of Washington and so I uh so I took the job for a year and I just fell in love with it. I wow. just, um, you know, I fell in love with um, the knowledge that our center at the Chief Seattle Club, that we are a place to help reconnect folks who've been um, disconnected from their tribal communities, to re- help them reconnect with who they are as Native people. And I, I just um, felt like, man, what, a, what an amazing thing to do to work with my own community. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in the in the in the native community um, around the country we have the highest rates of homelessness in fact in Seattle um, we make up fifteen percent of the homeless population wow. and yet we make up less than one percent of the total population so an incredible huge disparity and um, you know being able to do this work and to do things like you know we've been building housing by the end of two or the beginning of two thousand and twenty two when we open up our um, third housing um, project will have um, added about 220 units of housing um, for Native people. And it just feels incredible to be able to do that work. It feels like um, my ancestors have pushed me towards this moment and that this is the time for our Native community in Seattle and around the country to build housing, to take back our, our sacred responsibility to um, house our elders, to house our babies, and um, as you can tell, I could just talk for a long time about it. I love the work. I love our homeless community. I feel like I learn so much from them every day. Like they have they have suffered, they um, continue to suffer, and they continue to find joy, and they continue mm. to find goodness, even in the middle of some incredibly hard things. And so getting to be with those um, folks and being with my relatives has just been one of the most tremendous things that's ever happened to me, and I,
0: I, could, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Colleen. And yeah. striking statistics, you know, less than 1%, but 50% of the homeless population. That is very, very striking. Um, and I, yeah. and I also love, uh, of course, another reason why I was led to you, you know, just the, the spiritual connection to the, the mission of the Chief Seattle Club and then also your response to Answering, you know, this pull and invitation to lead this work. It's just phenomenal. Um, So, Seattle, where, you know, I have yet to venture off to, uh, but it's, (laughs) you know, uh, like New York City, from what I have gathered, it's labeled as progressive. And we've, you know, seen the hidden dangers (laughs) that are within (laughs) the label of progressive, where White supremacy is still very much real within, you know, progressive Mm -hmm. spaces. And um, I guess when you're considering like Seattle and the inequities in education, housing and the like, there's a clear Mm -hmm. imbalance. So what do so-called progressive leaders need to know and need to do for the greater good of communities of color? Wow.
1: I just love this question. So. Um, I think that there has to be a place for the, for the progressive and, and on either of the left uh, or on the left coast, as they call it out here in Seattle, um, to, to truly like lay down their power, you know? And, and I think that's really, really hard, but I, I know and believe that there are, there are folks in this community, in this, in the Seattle community and around the country, who, who see the disparities, who see the hurt that is going on in the you know Black Indigenous people of color communities, BIPOC, and 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 want to do the right thing for them, and I think that, or want to you know want to do the right thing, you know, and, and but they but they don't know how, and um so you know to that end, um in the past couple of weeks I've been working with some local folks here in Seattle to um. To envision a, a new alliance, it's called the Equitable Recovery and Re- um, Reconciliation Alliance, or ERA. Mm-hmm. And um, we keep saying it's, you know it's got to be a new era out here. And and um, the the goal of that alliance is to bring together our BIPOC communities and say, you know, what are the disparities that you feel like are the the biggest issue right now while we're in this wait in the middle of COVID. And when we come out of COVID, it's going to have to be recovery, right? Mm. So we're asking them to say what are those issues, and then we're we're asking our you know progressive um, white relatives to sign pledges to say that they will support our leadership, that they will support the pipelines and the avenues that we're making, so that that we can ensure that our communities that have been suffering long before COVID don't suffer greater after COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not enough to focus on just an economic recovery, but we have to focus on um and on a um equitable recovery, which is good for the economy. That's the thing I think missing people like, you know, it's good for our whole system when we can house, you know, native people. It's good for our whole system when we see, you know, um black small businesses just rising up and having their place in the community. It's, it's not just good for the black community or for the native community. It's good for all of us and it, <laughs> and, and it impacts our economic recovery in a really positive way. So I, to, to, to circle back to your question, there has to be humility um, from our white progressives or just our progressives in, 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 um, in Seattle and other places. There has to be humility and there has to be willingness to not just um not just to come um invite us to the table or to create a seat at the table, but to also to think about that table, to yeah. dismantle that table that was built by white supremacy often and, and to create a new table that is inclusive for everyone, that that in, that that takes in my culture and takes in your culture. I have some friends who say, you know, we gotta dismantle that table and build a sweat lodge. And we all have to come mm. in to that sweat lodge for so healing and reconciliation. And for the good of all our communities, for both the the white rich progressive and the and the other folks in the community, like there has to be a new way of um, doing this work. And it's going to take a lot of humility on on all sides, and a lot of um um a lot of, a lot of work ahead of us and it's it's exciting and and terrifying at the same time.
0: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of humility and also a lot of truth and, um, and honesty, you know, um, there's, I I know for some time in the sector, it's been a lot of, you know, a lot of the pleasantries (laughs) and a a lot of the, the, the niceties and in order to actually shift, um power and actually move towards equity and to be equitable means that you have mm-hmm. to yes humble yourself and then also be be ready for that truth <laughs> you know be be ready to relinquish the you know so called control that you believe um you have and that you rightfully deserved um which is Which is false. Uh, But um, you also shared uh, when we spoke previously, when we think about homelessness, racism is the reason reason we have it. And I learned from you in that conversation that about 70 percent of the housing is likely to go to homeless white individuals, which Again, very mm-hmm. surprising. So I wanted to know if we can unpack that and what are you uniquely managing and hearing from the Native Indigenous community that you work alongside and on behalf of?
1: Yeah. Well, let me just address really quick that number. That number was kind of like that day. Like mm-hmm. that number kind of shifts around a little bit. But the but the but what the truth is, though, is that if a... Um, you know, a white person is to get in line for the housing versus a Black person or a Native person, they are more likely to get that, to get that housing. And that is truth. And that is just really un, uh, sad and unfortunate. And the, because the reality is, is that that system, the homeless housing system has been, you know, is set up in a way that that makes it work well for, well, not well, makes it work okay for for someone who is, you know, white and understands that system, you know, mm. for the native community, we've had tremendous um, harm around housing in our communities. You know, I live here in the Coast Salish territories. Some of the more, um, the some of the kindest, nicest people I've ever met in the Coast Salish tribal communities. There's out here. There's the Muckleshoot and Squamish and Tulalip and Bissquali and and Duwamish, and they're, they're they're some they're amazing, um, folks. And they've experienced a lot of trauma. They experienced, you know, their long houses being burned down. Mm. Um, They were not allowed to have those. Um, They were just part of the colonization of this community. And so there's a lot of trauma associated with housing systems. And then, you know, we have to think about the lot, um, like I always say that the first um, instance of homelessness is when we started moving native people off of our traditional homelands and into reservations. So my My tribe, I'm from the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma. We were originally, our our tribal um, territories were uh, Nebraska and and Kansas. And then we were moved to Oklahoma. We were moved in a place where none of, we we took all of our um, seeds. We're an agricultural community. We took all of our our precious seeds um, that were integral to our community and took them to Oklahoma where they wouldn't grow
0: Mm. and where
1: they haven't grown. You know, and it's a very powerful metaphor when we think about housing, we think about sustainability, we think about um, family, um, the first instances of homelessness in our country where where when we we move all of our native community into reservation systems, where we couldn't grow, where we couldn't flourish, where we couldn't. Um, build these sustainable, healthy lifestyles. And then we have the boarding school systems where Native children were taken away from their families and put in these terrible boarding schools. Yes. Um, and we have the Urban Indian Relocation Act that took people out of reservations and into cities and away from families and tribal communities. And so when we think about housing, the housing systems that are set up by the federal government, they are they have been harmful to our community. And we are a smart community. We know that things are harmful and so, why should we trust them? Uh, and so that's why I work at at the Chief Seattle Club and at the National Coalition on Ending Urban Indigenous Homelessness. That's why we believe it is part of our our role, a sacred role in the community now to build housing for our relatives that works for our relatives, that is run by native people. And I think in the in the um other bypass communities, there's a lot of um some of of a similar understanding that, that the systems, I mean, we could, there's a lot of um, um, systems in in urban centers around redlining around being very super intentional, that only white people can live in these areas. Um, And and so those are still reverberating through our communities. And so we see um, that native people and other people of color have the highest rates of homelessness, and housing instability. And it is directly connected to systemic racism. And so part of our work now is to um, tear down those systems and to rebuild those systems so that they work better for everyone. And it's really um, beautiful and wonderful work that I'm just privileged to get to do.
0: Yeah, thank you, thank you. And I, I, um, I appreciate how you connected the trauma to housing and displacement. Um, that is, you know, that is not something that I've heard often, um, as, as it relates Mm. to just housing, the housing stock, homelessness, um, the the effects of Mm -hmm. trauma, like real historical trauma, Mm -hmm. present day trauma, and, um, the, the trust factors, uh, that, uh, are, you know, come, come to fruition as, as a result of that. Um, so, uh again, why it's important that there is representation in the space that fully understands that context, understands, Mm -hmm. overstands the community, uh, the plight, Mm -hmm. so that, um, you know, we're able to advocate on behalf of and move on behalf of a, of a community with that that knowledge and also that experience. Uh thank you. I it, it just gave me chills as you were as you were talking about it. Um and also mm-hmm. thank you for the other historical factoids and um in and, and your response as well um and the connection even to to education. Yeah, happy to do it. So, you know, BIPOC, which is fairly <laughs> fairly new. Um, and fairly as you new. you know, as you mentioned, black indigenous people of color. Um, it's uh-huh. you know, it's being used kind of um interchangeable with people of color or communities of color. And yeah. I, I just wanted to know like from you, like being in this space where I, when I came across BIPOC, I was like, okay, well, what is this? And then I saw the emphasis on indigenous very, you know, like early on, just in, in, in terms of the acronym, what do you feel is gained, uh, with this type of like categorization or grouping? And are there any concerns for what's lost when, you know, we, yeah. um, have these labels?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I hold it all very lightly. I always think back to, um, I have a mentor who um, is, was a, uh, he's passed, but he um, was a a Lakota uh, man um, and a a pretty traditional man, but also an academic. Mm -hmm. And I remember him saying, his name is Ken LaFontaine. I remember him saying to me, you know, I remember um, someone in our class, I think, asked him, um, what is the right way to talk about Native Americans? Like, is it Native American? Is it First Nations? Is it Indian? Is it whatever? And, um, you know, Ken a really um, remarked, this was like close to 20 years ago now, and he said, you know, the, the thing about naming is, is its power, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. and academics have said, oh, now you're Native American and now you're First Nations and now you're Indigenous and now you're, you know, whatever. And he was like, you know, my my um my grandpa he was, uh, he referenced his grandma's grandpa was was an Indian, and he goes, and I'm an Indian, and I hold on to that because that is that is the power of of what my um my grandpa said and and i and i and i and i and I, I relate to him and i am i I am him, you know mm-hmm. and and i I love that because really naming um in these situations is about power mm-hmm. <laughs> and and about who holds the power and so I have, um, I have personally, I think that they're going to change, right? Like I recently saw um, on um, a Facebook post that someone was calling it, um, they they put Indigenous first, so Indigenous Black people of color. Hmm. Um, And I kind of love that because, you know, we're talking about like, you know, who was here first, right? In this country, it was Native people, Indigenous people. We were the first ones here Um, and, and we'll always be here. This is our land and we are connected to that. Um, and we have a lot of love and respect for our 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 black and black identified and um, brothers and sisters who did not have a choice in coming here, but were forced um, and through slavery to to be in in our country. And so there's a lot of um, of love and understanding of that. Um, so I, I think that we um, i'm I'm willing to hold it all very lightly right now. I think there's so many things that are changing and mm-hmm. moving. And um, there's so much understanding that's happening, and and um, you know who knows um, in a couple of months even if it's going to change to some yeah. kind of other um, other name. But I do think um, I love the solidarity. I guess that's what I'll end with is I love being in solidarity with my black relatives and with my other you know uh, people of color relatives. my my husband is Japanese and Okinawan. Um we have you know a lot of um friends in the Japanese community and family, mm. and so just being in solidarity with all all of those folks feels great to me, and there's
0: power there mm. thank you, thank you, thank you for that reflection yeah. um and yes, there definitely is power in naming um i I, I just know that for <laughs> i would say for those that are in the um the grant making space, right. (laughs) Or, you know, or, you know, philanthropy, it's, um, it's important for them to know that, that it's the, the power and the naming and the power and the solidarity and, um, that things are going to change and they're going to evolve. Uh, and it's not so much about what's trending right now. Right. Um, I, I appreciate, I appreciate you, you, you saying that. Um, so being, you know, like being in this space uh, where you've been called mm-hmm. to do this work, uh, what would you say to an emerging Native woman who aspires to be in the nonprofit or social impact space? And um, what should they consider, know or demand at the onset of their journey?
1: Mm, I love it. That's a wonderful question. You know, I think... Um, there is just always place for humility and I mentioned that earlier but I it's something I've been thinking about a lot um humility and just um um be understanding that you know other other folks have gone through this before you Mm -hmm. and that you um have a lot of and there's a lot of strength in that you know there's so much strength in in coming from a place of, of humility and and then I think that you know, remembering your strengths, remembering that, um, you are not alone. I always think about that in my work is that I'm not alone, that my ancestors are with me, that my relatives are with me. And there's so much comfort in that because, you know, the leadership stuff is hard. I've just been reading Valerie Jarrett's book and, um, she, yesterday I was reading that, uh, uh, um, this quote where she said that, um, that leadership is about absorbing pain mm. and that her and President Obama would talk about that phrase quite a bit. And it's just really resonating with me because even like this, this COVID response is painful. You know, it brings up a lot of trauma again. Yes. Um, in the Native community, we have, uh, you know, pandemics are not unprecedented. <laughs> we have um, experienced them before where many folks have been completely wiped out. Um, and so we we have um but there so we, so we understand the pain and I think sometimes what we forget about leadership is that it is um it can be it can be jarring it can be lonely and, and, and you are a responsibility you have a responsibility for the pain and how you handle that and how you respond to that is is means everything and I think that part of the journey of a um of a native woman in leadership or in a nonprofit or whatever is, is like um, having that hope,
0: Mm. having,
1: being inspirational, remembering that our ancestors have created this moment for us. My husband also often reminds me that, you know, my grandparents would just be, uh, I'm living like their most wild dream, you know, that Mm. I like own a home in Seattle. I lead an organization that serves our community, like they would be, the for me like mm. I haven't um died before I was born right and so I think about them a lot and I and I and I um know that they're guiding me and that they're they're with me in this so um I I think that more and more Native women should be leaders of everything <laughs> and and that we have a lot to offer our voice has been silenced for a really long time yes but it is the time for for our voice to be heard and for us to offer perspectives that will help you know, all all folks in our in in this in our community. So um, you know, if any native woman out there, get out there, lead, I'm here for you <laughs> in any way I can be.
0: Yes, and you're not alone. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Katleen. I appreciate that. And the book that you, yeah. you referenced, you said Valerie Jarrett.
1: Valerie Jarrett is called Finding My Voice, My Journey to the West Wing and the Path Forward. Valerie uh, Jarrett is like a was a friend of the Obamas and then was a senior advisor in the White House during the
0: eight years of President Obama's time there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hmm. Um, so, yes, we can definitely talk more and more, but we're at the close. And I'm so, again, hmm. grateful for your time and uh, for your leadership in this space and uh, your your unrelentlessness to just continue to chart that path forward for the community, for the generation that's coming behind you, for your children. Uh, And I would like for you to just close us out with the T affirmation for our listeners.
1: So I think my affirmation and something that I hold on to often is what I've shared earlier is you're not alone that this work is not too hard, that we're made for this moment to lead, to serve, to love our communities as as much as we possibly can. I, I am led by the love for the community. And that is my affirmation.
0: Thank you. Thank you. You were made for this moment. I love it. Love it. Love it. So Colleen, how do people stay connected with you with the work that's happening at the Chief Seattle Club?
1: Sure, thank you so much. You can follow me on all the social medias. Um, I post um, a lot about um, political stuff on Twitter. <laughs> and then um, I have family stuff on Instagram, which I am welcome anyone to follow me there. And then I kind of have a mix of it on Facebook. Um, and then uh, the T-Seattle Club, you're welcome to follow us for that on social media too. That We have some really great stuff on, on our social media. A lot of um, affirmation for the Native community as well as just reminder to our supporters and allies about the ways they can be involved in the work. So um, TCL Club, we're, again, we're on all the social media um, outlets and I'm also on LinkedIn. Happy to, happy to support um, um, LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn I kind of do a little bit more of like, um, you know, this is this is what I have personally been doing in the middle of the work. Cause it's kind of a, it's a good place for that one. Yes. yes. So, yeah. So yeah, please connect connected to us.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so so much, Colleen. And I definitely encourage everyone to stay connected with you and with the work and it's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you. I've had the best time. Thank you so much. It's always good to talk this
0: over. Absolutely. Absolutely. Until we connect again, sipsis say la share, and continue to serve.